The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. And welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from in places all over the world. Today is Wednesday. Excited to be here with you live because you know that Wednesday is the day that we welcome Dr. Doreen Grampy-Shade to be with us for Ask Dr. Doreen. She is here with us live from a remote location. Uh, and we're excited to have her here. Uh, this segment, again, is called Ask Dr. Doreen. And it's because Dr. Doreen Grampichet is a true expert in the field of autism, having worked in this field for many, many, many years, uh, <laughs> way more than she should own up to. Uh, we all want to know her skincare regimen. Uh, she's the founder of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. She is also the founder of a wonderful charity called Autism Care Today. We hope that you'll all join us with your questions. We've got a couple that are, there's Dr. Grandichet. <clears throat> Morning. We already, have, we already have folks uh, writing in and saying hello. We're saying hi to Jeremy and to Mary Jo. Uh, so thrilled that you guys are here. Want to remind everybody that there are more ways than ever to connect with us, whether you're watching us live or in podcast form. We want to briefly go over some of the different ways that you can be watching us. If you're watching us live, you might be watching us on YouTube, on Periscope, on Twitter, on Facebook Live or on our homepage, autism-live.com. On all of them, there are ways for you to connect with us and to have your question asked here on the show. We, we are doing a new format and it's faster than ever. Uh, people are writing in and saying hello to you, Dr. Grampiche. Hi, Michael. And Jeremy is saying hello. Notice on the left-hand side, it's all the places that we are live. On the right-hand side, it's all the places that we podcast to in addition to the places on the left. So we are a free download on iTunes, either picture and sound or just sound. We are also a podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana, Amazon Music, which is brand new, check it out, Audible, and on Deezer. And of course, we are always available on autism-live.com. Want to say to you that uh, we're thrilled to be on all of these sites for free. It is of no cost to you. We are a free download on all of those places. If there is a place where you know that we could be, that uh, you would like to be watching us wherever you get your podcast, please let us know and we will make sure that we check that out and get started there. Saying hello to Christy and Kim and Paula and Kirsten. Kirsten, we're so excited that you're here. All right. Uh, so Dr. Grandpiche, good morning. Good morning. Always lovely to be here. And thank you to all the parents for joining us, our families. Well, we're excited that you are here. And we always say on this show that we, the show that we do uh, five days a week, we're doing for that larger autism community, which, which starts with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. They're the beating heart of our community. 
And we include with that everybody who loves those individuals. So if you're a parent, a teacher, a grandparent, a spouse, uh, a sister, brother, whatever, we welcome you. We know that when we're all part of a conversation together, we're going to help those individuals to get the respect, dignity, services, support, employment, you know, whatever, whatever they need, right? So that's what we're about here. And Dr. Grampichet is, is really the cornerstone for us because she's got a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of experience. She's been working with that greater autism community, as I said, for a hundred of years. <laughs> I, you're never squeamish about it, but I always hate to give you away. Um, so there we go. Uh, no, this is a big part of my life, Shannon. You know, like I don't, I, it's most of my life. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm actually very proud to be probably the, the oldest provider in the field. So, <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, but it's, since you're saying it, I think that, that that's one of the true things. But look at how young it's kept her. All, <laughs> I think working uh, with this population has kept you very young. Plus, you're young at heart, which I think is half of it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> in any case. Uh, so she's here to answer your questions. We do give the disclaimer at the start of the show that there's no expert in this field or any other field that could give individual specific advice in this format, that would be a disservice to the individual. But having said that, this gives you an opportunity to ask a question of Dr. Grampichet to, to get to know her wealth of experience and information so that maybe you have more questions that you can go back and ask the experts who have eyes on the actual situation. Hello and good morning to Helen. So I, I want to get started uh, with a question that came in in the night. Uh, someone said, how can I help my husband cope with my child's ASD? My husband often refers to our son as it. This is very depressing. Like for Dr. Doreen and your advice on how I can get him to feel different about my child and thank you. Yeah, I can imagine that it's it's would be very difficult. It's it's hard, I guess, enough as it is just ourselves dealing with all the issues surrounding the treatment of our kids, and then to kind of have to have additional issues like this on top. Of it. It's very very stressful. But I would, I think, I would suggest that. Um, I don't know that it's it's right to think of it as how do I change my husband in order to um, meet the needs here of whether it's myself or my child or whatever. I think it's about finding out how your husband feels. I think it has more to do with what is he going through um, because it sounds like he might be struggling himself with a lot of issues and I would probably uh, maybe make some make some space in the family for him I, I don't know and and you know I'm, we've we've had the pleasure of talking to a lot of dads who've educated us over the years as you know Shannon some some of our favorite people and um it's a, it's a different experience for dads than it is for moms. And one of the things that we've heard often from dads is that they uh, just, they have a very hard time uh, not receiving any kind of attention in the family 
you know, a couple of days ago, I, I was watching something and, and there was a scene in this uh, documentary where someone said, um, sometimes in a relationship or in a family, you are a flower and sometimes you're a gardener. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved that. It just stuck with me. And I think that sometimes in life, we're not ready to be the gardener. And we still need to be the flower, <laughs> and uh, and and maybe that's part of it. You know, it's it's a struggle for so many of us when we have kids, our whole life changes, and then to have a special needs child, uh, that might be part of it. Uh, or, and I know that with dads, uh, it also has to do with kind of self image and just everything that they hoped for and prayed for. Uh, now they they're afraid that they may have lost it um, or they might have embarrassment. I mean, there's so many different aspects to what we go through in our own lives. So really, I, I don't know your family dynamic, but I would recommend if there's any uh, possibility of making space for dad to express his own emotions and how he feels, that might be the beginning of how you uh, engage in this, in this solving this situation. I, I, I love that response because it's very um, inclusive of everybody, which is very indicative of you. Um, and you're right. We've talked to a lot of different dads about this and they express a lot of different opinions. But I, I, one of the biggest things that I've seen from dads is that, you know, dads a lot of times are used to the role of, you know, I'm the, I'm the person who keeps, as you said, the gardener. I'm the person who keeps the roof overhead. I'm the doer. I'm the, whether that's true or not in their, in their relationship, it's how they feel. And what we've heard from a lot of dads is now I'm facing something that I have no idea what to do. And that we see a lot of dads who will bury themselves in work or that they'll, they, they just emotionally will detach and go, because I don't know how to fix it. Um, And what we see is that when dads get empowered, I'll tell you, we, we did a thing years ago. I, I've got to find it. Um, and it was something actually that your daughter, it was her idea, uh, Nikki's idea to do something. We called it facing fatherhood. And we sat down with five dads and uh, they ate really good food uh, from the Bourbon Street Grill. And we made a bunch of questions and we had them ask each other the questions. And it it was it was just devastating to watch and to hear. And one of the dads in particular, who I always think of as dad, who always has it all figured out. And he talked about how early on he was like, I just, I didn't know what to do. And as soon as he found that he could surf with his sons, that was just one thing that he could do with his sons that he could still have. And that opened him up to all the possibilities. And I wouldn't think of surfing as being the thing, but for him, that was something that he always wanted. He wanted to surf with his boys. And he thought when, when they were diagnosed, he was like, well, that's not going to happen. Um, but they worked towards and got to the point where they could go surfing. It may not have been exactly what he was picturing at first, but he now enjoys that passion with his kids. It was an yeah. entrainment. So to find something, the first time that my husband ever, I just, I didn't know what he was thinking he, and, and I love Holly Robinson Pizza. She was on Autism Avenue and that Rodney was over here somewhere else. And that she was like, you know, dude, you better get over here on this street. Um, but that she now looks back at it and goes, well, that wasn't kind. It wasn't loving. Um, but it's how she felt, right? 
I, I didn't know what was going on with my husband. He seemed kind of like not to get it, like, like just sort of just oblivious. Mm-hmm. And I kicked into high gear. Like, I, you know, we got to do things. We got to do things. And the moment that I saw him register it for the first time and he welled up and was having all this emotion. And I said, what, what's going on right here? And he said, I just realized he may never know the joy of being in a play. And that's how he accessed the grief was. And I was like, that, that's what you're worried about. But of course, that's what my husband would worry about. I also want you to know that my son does plays and my husband and my son just wrote a play that, that they performed a couple of weeks ago. So I want you to know the hope of that, that my husband also got to his dream. But finding that that thing, as you were saying, Dr. Grampuchet, that helps them to come yeah. into the circumstance. I think it's super important. Uh, okay, we had somebody who wrote in and said that there, I believe it was a five-year-old. And if you can go back and, and repost that for me, Trayvon, because the scroll moved faster than me. A five-year-old who likes to grab things that are not his and they're looking for some advice about how do you teach them not to grab things? Yeah, so you know, I love those questions because they are... Um, they're so important and, and they're they're so common, right? A lot of the parents uh, on the feed will probably say, yeah, so does mine or similar types of behaviors. And um, it's a good exercise for us to, to look at that particular behavior and talk about it. So, you know, he, your child is grabbing things that are not his um, and we are, and, and in typical development, kids will probably uh, initially make an attempt to grab things and then they would very quickly be reprimanded and they would learn that, oh, I can't take this away from someone because either it made the other person sad or it doesn't belong to me. So kind of more advanced uh, concepts that that reasoning type stuff, right? So advanced stuff that helps our kids figure out or or at the very minimum, a younger child would think, if I grab this, mom or dad are gonna be mad at me or my teacher is gonna be mad at me, right? So a consequence exists that is severe enough for the young child that they realize they don't, it's not worth it. I shouldn't do this, right? Now, so what they do, a typically developing kid, is they, they figure out alternatives. So one alternative would be to ask for an object. Another alternative is to take turns. Another alternative is to actually, uh, you know, steal the object when the other person, there's lots of alternatives that our kids use, Right. But our children on the spectrum don't have the ability or don't think of those alternatives. And so the only way that they can actually communicate what they want is to grab the object. And when I say that, it's not, it's it's a form of communication, right, Shannon? So it's just them trying to say what they want. And if they could understand all the more advanced kind of, uh, you know, uh, consequences, or if they could ask 
or communicate about it better, then very likely they would have a different behavior. So I just want our parents to first understand that all these behaviors that we we find to be challenging have to do with just communication. Our children have a hard time communicating their needs or their wants. And so as a result, this is how they communicate. So uh, what you do is, is really very simple. Uh, you have to not let it work. You know, this type of communication, the grabbing has to fail. Uh, it has to not have the consequence that the child wants. You prevent the child from grabbing. You block the grabbing. You make sure that when he tries to grab, he doesn't succeed. And at the same time, you have to give him another way of communicating that he wants the object. So the reason that he wants the object is going to be different. I just saw another question come up on the feed about someone else's child who, who grabs drinks. So he wants a drink. Let's assume he wants a drink. Um, you teach him to say drink or juice or I want drink, however much his capability is. And you focus on the teaching of the skill because once the child learns to be able to express what he wants and at the same time, you're not allowing him to just grab then the grabbing behavior gradually gets replaced by the asking behavior. So I think that is the key to all of everything that we do with our kids is just teaching them a more appropriate skill that replaces the way that they're currently communicating. And so Shannon, as you know, I always say, I think skill teaching is much more important and it's about skill teaching. It's not so much about the challenging behaviors. The challenging behaviors tend to go away when our kids have the appropriate skills to, to replace them. And we're, we're solving something in the chat right now um, that, cause things are moving so fast. Um, so we're solving that. Uh, but I, I, wanna, I wanna pause for a second for another one that was written in in the night, but I know a lot of you are asking questions and we love it, love it, love it. Uh, but this is really important to me. Um, so this person writes in and says, I, and they identify themselves as, as a 19 year old, have been dating my girlfriend who is 18 for four months. And her sister who is 21 has the biggest crush on me and putting it bluntly without trying to be mean, she is very not subtle about her advances. Mm -hmm. However, I understand that people with autism aren't socially adept. Those advances are very awkward for me and hard to uh, respond to. I've tried telling her that I don't want them, but she just doesn't seem to get it. I really don't want to hurt her feelings, even though I'm sure it's inevitable. She texts me on Snap constantly. Sometimes they are very uncomfortable texts with, uh, with sexual implications and makes posts on there about me 24-7. What should I do about this? I love my girlfriend very much, and I don't want this to come between us. Well, that's so wonderful. And thank you so much for reaching out to us. I, I, it's awesome that you found us. Um, so what a lovely person, first of all, to, to care so much. Uh, I, I have a, a few different pieces of advice or just like help you kind of understand it. And then you can 
take it how, however direction you like. First of all, I would obviously talk to your girlfriend. I, this is not something you want to hide from your girlfriend, for sure. And I don't know if you are, but you certainly need to let her know and let her see the chats and, and let her know what's going on. She, believe me, she will understand them instantly because she has grown up with this. And so she understands the the issues that individuals on the spectrum can have, don't necessarily always have, but can have. And I think um, the best service I can do for you is to help you understand that. So um, there are certain social rules that we grow up with, which are just so normal to us that we don't even think about it, right? So for example, if someone is snap sending you snaps all day long and they're uh, maybe you know a little bit of a sexual nature or something like that that's inappropriate because you're not in in a relationship right how we uh, define inappropriate social inappropriate is very subtle uh, it's extremely uh, it's not written down anywhere it's not black and white it's like, uh, you know, the, just a very serial example would be if someone sends you one snap per day, is that okay? What if they start sending you three, right? Now, three might not be okay, but one might be okay. That's a very subtle social rule. Or if someone sends you a, a snap and it's a little bit, uh, maybe there. everybody in the picture or an Instagram or something, everybody is wearing swimsuits. Okay, well, that might not be appropriate if it's the picture of, if it's a picture of her and her sister, right? So there are social rules that are very subtle and individuals on the spectrum have a hard time understanding those rules because they were they're not written down and they don't develop understanding these social rules there's a lot of different reasons for that i mean in a different uh on a different topic shannon and i often do training for our parents on the subject of uh understanding cognition social cognition metacognition a lot of the stuff that you're talking about has to do with that being able to understand what social rules are, being able to see things from other people's perspective. Those are areas that are difficult for our kids. So um, your, your girlfriend's sister is not seeing those things. She, she's not understanding that her behavior would be inappropriate. Uh, for example, she's not understanding that um, this could hurt her sister's feelings. She's not understanding that it's not possible for you to have emotions towards her since you have emotions towards her sister. There's a lot of these very, very abstract concepts that she's not understanding. And she would need to learn all of those types of things in order to stop uh hitting on you right and and so and this is not something you can teach her it's a series of things that she has to, to learn over a course of time and my recommendation is that you speak with your sisters with your girlfriend so that she can help find the right resources for her sister 
uh, so that her sister can learn. This is not just about you, it's about the next relationship as well, right? And so there's a series of things that she has to learn. And I think for you, your first step is to talk to your girlfriend about it. She won't be upset because she's probably she knows her sister and she knows the stuff that her sister struggles with. Absolutely. I, I love that. I think it's uh, great advice. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm going to press on ahead because we are overwhelmed with questions. Hi, I was hoping that I could ask a few questions through here. I have five-year-old twins, a boy and a girl. Our little boy was diagnosed at the age of three and a half with autism level two, global developmental delay, and language disorder. For him at this moment, we are curious about his outbursts during TV time. When he watches his YouTube, either on TV or iPad, he will have moments where he just lets out a loud noise, sometimes even a scream. What could be the cause of the sudden outburst? Um, so she has a question about her daughter. Yes, but let's stop there. Yes. Sure, sure. So do we know if the boy is five or three or, or is one or the other? Um, he is three and a half. So three okay. That's and then, and he, and, and as you know, my pet peeve. So the, the, someone has given the child a diagnosis with just one number, which is a two, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and uh, uh, other than the loud scream, was there something else? There's, well, with her daughter, her daughter is no, no. walking, but, with, but the little boy, that's all we know for him is that he's having these sudden outbursts. Okay. And so sometimes it's a screen. Yeah. So I, I'm afraid um, I would need to ask a lot more, many more questions before I could tell you uh, a lot more. Oh, okay. I see that they just wrote. Oh, yeah. Boys, boy, boy, boy. He was diagnosed at three and a half. Great. Got it. So, um, and, and I have to say, and I'll say this for the, for our viewers, a lot of times someone will give you a diagnosis and they'll give you one number and that's just incorrect. There are two domains in autism. One, one, the first domain has to do with social communication. These are like the areas of deficit, right? The areas that are different. Uh, the first one is social communication. Um, and those are things like everything from like eye contact to normal conversation, to being able to play with others appropriately, to be challenging. All of this kind of stuff falls into social communication, right? Um, and two, it, the number that you receive has to do with the level of support the individual needs to in that domain, in that area. So if your child needs a lot of support, then they would receive a three. If they, receive, if they need medium support in social communication, then that's a two. And if, they, if they're mildly affected, then that would be a one, okay? But there's a second domain. The whole other side of, of autism has to do with what we call the ritualistic or stereotypical types of behaviors, such as, uh, you know, self-stimulatory behaviors, like perhaps loud screaming, um, what we call echolalia, or running around and... Uh, you know, turning the lights on and off, repetitive behaviors that we often don't know what, what causes them, um, looking at things in a particular way. So there's a big component of that second domain, which has to do with sensory issues. Uh, and again, in that second domain, 
uh, there's a one, two, or three, the amount of support that the child needs. So usually you have to have two numbers. So for instance, a child could have need a lot of support in the social communication domain, in which case they would receive a three, but very little support when it comes to the repetitive stereotypical behaviors domain, right? So then they would receive a one. A child who is like a three, one is very, very different from a child who is a one, three. So we have to kind of be clear about that. But I, I'm making the assumption that he is uh, two in one or the other domain. There should be two numbers, right? So we're just going to say he's two, two, um, and which means he needs a, a medium level of support in both domains. Um, now, what is the screening about? Uh, again, I don't know him well enough, but a lot of times, as I said before, these behaviors show themselves when our kids cannot vocally communicate. So if the, if the screaming, when the screaming occurs, you need to figure out what are some of the antecedents and what are some of the consequences? What are the things happening around the screaming? It could be that he's screaming to get your attention. It could be that he's screaming because he just saw something very exciting on the screen. And if he had language, he would turn to you and say, mom, check that out. Look how cool that was. But he can't, he doesn't have that language. So his excitement comes out on the screen. It could be that he just makes the sound of the scream because he has a sensory need where he likes to hear himself scream. And there's a lot of different things that it could be, but that you can, you can only determine that by knowing what happened before it, what happened after it. How did the environment manipulate what just happened? So without that information, I can only give you some of those options. Um, it, it could be sensory, it could be challenging, it could be communication, all of those types of things are possible. And so or I could help you kind of figure out how to deal with it. So we've got a lot of people that are writing in that their children have similar behaviors. But the problem is, is that each one of you, your kids might be doing it for an entirely different reason. Oh, yeah. So, so we're going to do homework um, and ask for everyone to take ABC data on their kids doing these behaviors. So what I just did was, and you guys, if you watch the show, you've seen me do this before. I took a piece of paper, I folded it in three and across, so now I've got three columns and across the top, I wrote A, B, C. A is for antecedent, which is what happened before. B is for the behavior, C is for the consequence. And you're just gonna take data. So after he does it, you know, while he's screaming, you write, you're thinking, you're not writing down while he's doing it, but you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to write down on the piece of paper? I'm going to write down that he started screaming and I'm timing it and, it and he screamed for five minutes and he did it in this pattern. He ran around the room while he was screaming. He made eye contact with me while he was screaming, whatever it is, right? It's going to look different for everybody. Then, then so you write that down first when, when the behavior is over. Then think to yourself, what happened as a result of it? Do we all pay attention to him? Did, we, did someone say, hey, stop that? Did, uh, you know, what was, what was the consequence? And then last, go back and think to yourself, what happened right before? That's when you're, you know, being a forensic scientist, you know, where we watch, somebody wrote in and said, you were watching what, Mario? 
and that it happened. So you would write that down and, and you write down what time it happened and, and fill the sheet, fill a couple of sheets. You'll start to see a pattern, but more importantly, bring it back to the show to share with us. And then Dr. Grampuche will have more information because things start to emerge, right? What do you learn from ABC data as a BCBA? I'm asking you, Dr. Grampuche. What yes, kinds of things? Uh, I'm also having some a couple of technical issues here. Um, ask me to reload, but uh, okay. So actually, I wanted to actually do exactly what you mentioned, which I think is perfect, because for all, every one of the parents on here or or uh, viewers on here, um, when you see a challenging behavior, you can't you can't assume that. It is just a bad behavior and that we need to get rid of it. It has a purpose. Uh, right before I lost my feed, my chat feed um, on here. So I apologize because I can't see any of your questions anymore. But um, I saw a parent who wrote that uh, her son screams when they hear loud on the TV, something loud on TV. So... Another function of a behavior, another reason could, that I had forgotten to say could be just simple imitation, right? It's, it could be communication, imitation, all these different things. It is super important always to try to do what Shannon suggested, which is figure out what that challenging behavior is trying to get across. Um, I'll simplify it for all of you as you, and you can do this exercise that Shannon suggested, but it's very, very simple. When you think of behavior, any behavior, good or bad, all of us, we do what we do for two reasons, two reasons alone. One is to gain access to something and one is to avoid something. Um, that's it. That is human behavior is governed by those two things gaining access to something or avoiding something. Now, the things that we want to avoid are all kinds of things, all kinds of things, right? And for our kids, just to keep it simple, it could be you want to avoid punishment. You want to avoid the anger of your parent. You want to avoid an environment that is overly stimulating. You want to avoid a, a food you don't like. You want to avoid stopping doing something you like to do. You want to avoid all these types of things that our kids want to avoid, right? What do you want to gain access to? You want to gain access to things you like. Uh, you want to gain access to more of the show you're watching, um, gain access to your favorite sweets, gain access to running around outside, whatever it is. So you always need to figure out that particular behavior. What is it trying to avoid or gain access to? Um, and when you know that, then the treatment becomes, the, the way to deal with it becomes very simple. Often we want to give our kids access to the things they want and we want to help them avoid the things they want to avoid if they ask for it appropriately. And so that's the key to it. It's, it's just figuring out what it is they're trying to communicate and giving them a better way to communicate it. Okay. So another way to look at it, but, but if you'll tell us some of the more circumstances, it will, because for each thing, if you know what it is that they wanted, there's different interventions that science have proven to be effective. That's the key. 
is that you got to know what you're looking at first. And then science has yeah. already told us a way to intervene. And, um, it's, it's, and to keep it real simple and even non-scientific, it's the same thing. If you figure out a child is tantruming to get attention, because they're trying to get access to attention, that's one of the things that we want to gain access to, then don't give them attention because the way they just communicated it by tantrum is not something you want to, you want to increase. You don't want to reward that behavior, right? You give attention when they do something appropriate not when they do something inappropriate. And that's the same thing. I mean, not to call it appropriate or inappropriate, but challenging or not challenging. So if you attend every time a child screams, the, the screaming worked. It worked, it got your attention. So, and if you don't attend when they scream, but instead you attend when they're quiet, then being quiet will increase. So it's really kind of that simple in terms of ABA, but it is, it's a lot more complicated when you do it in real life, because often like when a child screams as an example, it, they're not doing it for one reason or another, they're doing it for multiple reasons. And that's when it starts to get confusing for our parents. Yes. Uh, somebody said, I love this question. Right now, my five-year-old son vocabulary is excelling like crazy. He was considered nonverbal, but that seems to have changed over the last few months being home with mommy. But behavior is out of control and preventing me from having him participate in virtual school. Now ABA is going to come in the home to help with control and give me more parent training. Is it common for them to stop progressing in one area because they are excelling in another? Um, so... It is not, I don't think that he, <laughs> it's hard for me to under, explain my answer here. So I don't think that he's stopping progressing in one way or another. I want to step back from that question for a moment because I want to remind all the parents that challenging behaviors are not a symptom of autism. They're just not one of the symptoms that are listed in the symptoms of autism, right? So an individual does not necessarily develop challenging behaviors when they have autism, period. It's not in one of the symptom criteria. It's just not a symptom. The reason we develop challenging behavior is because we cannot communicate uh, in other ways. It's because we're expressing ourselves and we're frustrated. So uh, the challenging behavior stuff may have increased over the course of being with you, being at home just because the challenging behavior uh, earned the child more rewards. It doesn't really have to do with the other stuff. So the fact that he's increasing his vocabulary, good for you. That's awesome. That's amazing. And uh, he should continue to increase his vocabulary. That's awesome. The challenging behavior stuff doesn't have anything to do with the autism. It just has to do with uh, however you're managing him or dealing with him or interacting with him. He's learned that challenging behavior at home may not have severe consequences challenging behavior at home i might get away with 
because mom is also so happy with me because my vocabulary is increasing that I might get away with my challenging behavior, whatever it is, they're not related in that sense. The challenging behavior can easily be gotten under control and the rest of his skills will continue to grow. When you have, I was actually going to uh, ask that parents a question in a different way. What was happening before that his, his vocabulary wasn't increasing? I mean, you know, you need to think about why wasn't his vocabulary increasing when he was in school? So the fact that his vocabulary is accelerated right now is a wonderful thing. That is more meaningful than the challenging behavior. Don't worry about the challenging behavior. That stuff is easy to get rid of. There you go. And she asks, is it avoidance? And my assumption is, uh, the, and tell me if I'm wrong, the, the, is it avoidance of the, the virtual school? Because we're hearing that across oh, the board, God. Dr. grant yeah, The kids yeah. are not loving the, you know, the virtual school. Yeah, I mean, everyone, that's a given. That I would agree with that 100%. With a lot of our kids, they, who wants to sit in front of a, a computer for six and a half hours or something? You know, like it's just, they're not getting what they would like to get out of it. It's not reinforcing enough for our kids and it's too difficult. It takes way more effort for our kids to uh, attend to a screen. I was, uh, uh, Shannon, as you know, I was saying my kids are all in college and for, for college age, typically developing kids, they're complaining, right? And saying, it's ridiculous. I can't pay attention. There's 50 people in the class. I can't pay attention for that long, or I can't get attention. It, it's just, it's a, it's a very new way of learning. And I'm pretty sure that if distance learning continues, a lot more prompting will have to be added. Um, we'll have to reduce the session sizes, the class sizes. We'll have to have much more visual uh, prompting or help on screen. It's not working the way it is right now. So yes, so for your child, he might tantrum, or and and then you're you're like, okay, well he's tantruming. I can't force him to sit here and go through class. So you let him out of class. And so he learns tantruming gets me out of class. And it's as simple as that. Our kids are smart. They figure out that their challenging behavior got them what they wanted, which was to avoid class. Yeah. Uh, now is a good time for me to bring up, because as we're talking about distance learning and, and the fact that this mom is saying that language exploded with mom, I do love, you know, it's a tale of two cities, right? I know that many of you are having a very hard time with a certain, with the current circumstances and the distance learning, but I would say equal as many of you are saying that, oh my gosh, I'm seeing that my child learns better with what I'm doing than what they were doing at school. That I think that that's very telling and, and I want to look for the gifts where we can for those of you who are like, well, I don't know how to do that. I want some help. I need some, some support. I want you to know that Skills Weekly sends us an email to let us know what their specials are. Somebody had written in the question about, is skills good for parents? It's good for everybody. Let me say that. Uh, but this week, they want you to know, for our ABA parents and guardians, we would like to offer free IBT parent e-learning course, Parent Overcoming Challenging Behaviors. How timely oh, yeah. is that? So that's free right now for all of you. I'm going to tell you how to get that. Get your pens ready. But there's more. If you have, if there are educators who are watching, or those of you who want to give a gift to your educator, 
Right now they're offering our, our IBT educator e-learning module, educators starting to teach. Uh, and they're giving that at no charge. As a parent, you might want to just do that one as well, starting to teach. Uh, they are also continuing to offer their full RBT 2.0 training course. That's a registered behavior technician training course. It's free to the parent audience on a case-by-case -case basis. So if you're like, I want to know what my therapists know, I want to know all these things, um, it's like a, a $440 value and they're giving it to parents on a case-by-case -case basis. You have to want to do it, right? They don't want to just give it out to people who aren't going to use it. But for those of you who have done it, you know it's worthwhile. And you can do it at your own pace. It's, if you have time at 2.30 in the morning, you can do it at 2.30 in the morning and you can rewind. It's fabulous. In addition, they're offering, they're continuing to offer a 10% discount on all skills products for anyone uh, that calls and says, um, you know, you saw it on Autism Live. I always say, say Shannon sent you, you're part of the friends and family discount. Are you ready with your pens? So to get any of those deals, you need to call 877-975-4559. Again, that's 877-975-4559. Four five five nine. If you are watching internationally, as I know many of you are, the best thing to do is to email me um, and say what it is that you want, and I will uh, connect you via email with the appropriate person over at Skills and IBT. Again, that is uh, you, you can call the number eight seven seven nine seven five four five five nine, or you can email me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. I think Traven will be nice and put that up on the screen for us. Uh, and one of our wonderful skills folks uh, said, for parents who use skills, we have unlimited live one-on-one -on -one training, and we are here to help them to use skills. Thank you. They are amazing, amazing individuals. Uh, okay. Uh, um, we've got people saying hi from India. Love, love, love that you are here with us. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I want to go back to some of our comments because they've come in fast and furious here. Uh, okay, how do we make potty training uh, eight, for an eight-year-old boy? He doesn't wipe any suggestions. Yeah, um, yes. Uh, it's a If it's just a matter of wiping, then that becomes your only... Uh, goal, and I would suggest that you do that in a shaping process, or even you could do a backward chaining process. And what I mean by that is that, uh, let's say you do a backward chaining process, that essentially means that you would do uh, the majority of the wiping at first, and he would then do the last portion, and you would heavily reward him. Um, and then you gradually leave more and more for him to do. So you would now do everything but the last two steps of the wiping, and then he, you would model for him, help him, prompt him, and he does it. He completes the action, and you then reward him, and you gradually will do that until you are fading yourself out. That's called a backward chaining process. And so it's easy. There's a lot of these types of uh, behavioral processes that we do that our kids will adjust to easily. But uh, if your child is not, if the problem is not just the wiping, then uh, we need to do a whole potty training procedure 
And we have, uh, Shannon, I'll, I'll let you tell the parents where they can access a lot of our trainings that we've done on this subject. Yeah, if you go to our website, autism-live.com, there's a couple of different ways you can access the videos there. That's our whole library is available on that site. There's a place where you can just do a, go into the search feature and you could, for instance, put toilet training and you'll get to see a whole, you know, maybe 400 videos about toilet training. The other thing that I really recommend, if you go to the top and it says topics, um, the only thing that's available right now by topic is Ask Dr. Doreen. If you click on the Ask Dr. Doreen um, icon, it will allow you to uh, put in toilet training, for instance, and then um, you, what you'll see are a bunch of questions. Every time you guys ask a question on Ask Dr. Doreen that we end up taking your question, it gets coded and it gets put in there. So you'll see the questions because you, you know, you, you don't want to answer, if you're asking about an eight-year-old wiping, you don't need to answer the question about the 26-year-old who is smearing, right? Um, so you'll see what the question is. And if you click on the question, it takes you exactly to that episode, whichever day that it was. And you can hear Dr. Grampichet answer that question. We're constantly trying to update it. Um, and it, as you can imagine, it's a bear. It's a wee beastie. Uh, but there are a lot of videos there, and I think there's probably more on toilet training than anything else because we knew that, um, and they say not flushing as well. So very likely we have answered a question about that before um, so that you can check that out. And that's available to everybody. Our website is autism-live.com. And there, there are tons of resources all over the page. I really encourage people to click on all the buttons um, check that, check out the playlists, um, you know, uh, check out the toy guide while you're there, leave a comment in the chat. Uh, in fact, I want to go to a question that was left in the, in the chat on the website. I would love to know what is the difference between a psychoeducational evaluation and a neurodiagnostic evaluation? Our little girl turned six in August and has an ASD diagnosis since age 36 months. She is also hyperlexic. We are trying to find out as many, as much as possible about how she thinks and how she learns and also how to best help her in school. She has a full-time aide in a regular first grade class with OT and speech therapy at school. She has private speech therapy, OT and ABA. Uh, and they sent their email and they said, thanks for all you do. And I love this question. I, I love it when, when parents are in that place of saying, I want to understand. No, I think we all feel this way, don't we? We want to know how does our kid think and how do they learn? And if we can keep asking that question as our kids change, that's a very empowering question to ask, in my opinion. Dr. Grampiche, what I know that this is a particular area of expertise for you. So um, love those, these questions, yeah. Can I quickly though, I, I was kind of, uh, and I will answer this very quickly, uh, but I really wanted to just also <laughs> for the previous parent, yes. um, just wanted to make a quick suggestion to, to take pictures of the different steps having to do with toilet training and put them up or just write them if your child can read so that they know that after they're finished, they have to flush. So just the steps. Um, each one, right? So like going there, like uh, taking your, 
pants down, for instance, sitting down, et cetera, et cetera, each step. And then also, uh, you know, include hand washing and all of that. So it's not, the, to- the flushing, I think, is, ju- is an easy action. It's just probably they forget the steps. Okay, so but, I'm but, but could, wait, but, but now I got to add something to sure. it too. That I think it's always great to have that visual schedule to show, but a yeah. lot of times what we forget is you have to have some sort of meaningful reward yes. for the behavior because to them, yeah. flushing, there's nothing pleasurable about it. For a lot of our kids, it's a sensory nightmare. Why yes. would they want to flush? There's nothing in it for them. So we need to pair it with something that's meaningful so, so that it's worth it. You always talk about it's got to be fair. Um, yeah. And to them, why would I want to flush, make a noise, have something be sucked away that makes me feel un- insecure? Um, yeah. There's no reason why they would want to do it. So you've got to reward the hey, nani, nani, and it's got to be something that's meaningful to them. Absolutely. Every step of that you have your child do has to be rewarding every, every step. So each of those has to uh, initially will be rewarding on its own. And then gradually as you shape and chain, the reward comes at the end of the whole chain. But initially there's a reward for each portion of the chain, right? And Shannon is right. Uh, with flushing, it's, it's a, a pre- for some of our kids, it's a particularly aversive activity because of the sound or the look and all of that. So you need to increase the reward. Whenever an activity is more difficult or more aversive for a sensory reason or any other reason, you have to balance it by increasing the reward. Definitely. So now getting to this question. Yeah. Um, psychoeducational testing has to do with your ability to learn, okay? So the different things that you are uh, ahead of or behind in education and psychologically how your brain works to learn those things. Um, Neurodevelopmental, neurodiagnostic, diagnostic is a little bit different. So neurodevelopmental testing has to do with how your brain works. So I'll give you some examples. Um, in neurodevelopmental testing, all neurological testing, really, you're focusing on things like memory, you know, like what type, how is your working memory? Uh, how is your, uh, executive function? Like, how do you plan things? How do you remember things? How do you categorize things when you learn them? Those types of things, right? In psychoeducational, it's taking those concepts and applying it to education. So, for example, if your working memory, working memory is defined as when you learn something new, it goes in and it modifies the old stuff you had learned in an appropriate way. So, for example, uh, you learn that um, you know, it can be, it it can be hot. Sometimes it can be cold. Sometimes, uh, temperatures, weather is different, right? And then time goes by and then you learn a new thing, which is, oh, temperature in different parts of the world is different in like certain parts that are closer to the equator. It's more hot and parts that are further away from the equator. It's more of the time cold. Okay. That information has to be integrated with the old information, 
um, so that you come to realize that, oh, where, where, maybe where I am, it's a little bit of each. It's about equal. But in other parts of the world, it's more of one or the other, right? But it, sometimes people who have bad working memory, the new thing they learned replaces, like eliminates the old thing they learned. And it, it causes a lot of confusion in their mind. So that's the concept of working memory. So let's say you test a child on a neurodevelopmental test, right? And you decide that, oh, this child has some issues with working memory. Their working memory is not at age appropriate. Then you know that you need to work on memory skills on their own. And that's very, very different than psychoeducational testing which the child could also, when you do a psychoeducational test, it'll show the child is not memorizing long sentences. It's just having a hard time with it. Well, so now you did the neurodevelopmental test and you know why. The reason they're having a hard time with this is because their working memory or their long-term memory or their short-term memory is affected in some way. So that's kind of the difference. And, um, you gain good information from both. Um, neural testing is a little uh, intense. It's very long and it'll give you a, a lot of abstract information. I'm not sure. I would probably start with psychoeducational testing first. And then if I see a lot of areas of, of deficit or areas where my child is struggling and I can't, no one can figure out why or how we need to improve that, then I would do some neurodevelopmental testing to figure that out. That's amazing. Uh, I didn't know all that. Uh, I, I, we're at the end here and I don't want to go over because I know you've got other things to do, but uh, we're so deeply appreciative for you um, and, and to have the opportunity to hear your thoughts on these things. Um, I'm going to excuse you. I'm just going to answer because somebody sent in a question about Temple Grandin. I'm going to uh, address that really quickly. But, um, and I apologize to everybody. There were some comments that we had early on that our chat sort of garbled and we didn't get them. So I want you to know we weren't ignoring. We're going to try to go back and see if we can get them so that maybe we can put them at the start of the show next week. Uh, I will, I'll see if I can do that. I can't promise that. But Dr. Grampiche, thank you so much for thank being with us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, okay, so I just wanted to address uh, that somebody wrote in about Temple Grandin, that they have a question for her. Temple is with us right now on a monthly basis, once a month, that we have her live. So we've devoted Tuesdays, we call it Temple Grandin Tuesdays here. So every Tuesday, we, we've done so many interviews with Temple now that and we feel like it's such good information and um, everybody doesn't get to see all of them. So on Tuesdays, we either have her live or we have... Uh, sort of a best of, um, and we have several different episodes of the best of, and we will air that. If you have a question that you would like for Temple, one of the things that Temple has asked is that we sort of sort through the questions for her beforehand, because it, it's, I can't even tell you, it's so exciting to see what you guys write in, but it's so overwhelming. It's a sensory thing. Um, and it's not her favorite thing. So she likes to have the set questions beforehand so that, it, you know, for instance, today we had the thing about screaming and then a bunch of people wrote in about screaming. She would like that put all together. Um, so we like to make it pleasurable for Temple. So 
we the last time we had her on, which was a couple of weeks ago, people wrote in a bunch of live questions. We said we would go through them for the next time. If you have a question for Temple, I don't know the date yet, but it's probably in two weeks that we'll be having her back on live, sort of the middle of the month we shoot for. So uh, write in the question. Um, you can send it to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com, or you can write it in here. Um, and I'm so uh, sorry that we did not get to everybody's uh, question. But feel free to write me, s.penrod at autism-live.com, and we will get to as many questions as possible. Hey, before we go, and we're already a minute over, I just want to say that tomorrow on the show, we're welcoming Jake Weiner. He is from Zoo's Fitness. And Zoo's Fitness is about inclusion fitness, fitness for everyone. We have seen in our household, and uh, we're seeing in a lot of other people's households, that it's so important with this distance learning and all this screen time, it was always important to, you know, have an opportunity to move your body, right? But for our kids and for regulation and for us, it's more important than ever. So we're going to be talking with Jake tomorrow about what you can do to, that will help all the other times of the day. And I'm swearing by this. Uh, you guys know I'm, I'm not big on the whole exercise thing and we got a treadmill and I can tell if a, a day goes by and I don't do the, the treadmill, I can tell I'm dysregulated. So what must that be like for our kiddos? Um, and I know somebody is writing in about um, depression and autism. And I, and I want to tell you that we definitely want to encourage you to seek out professional help. Um, when you've got somebody who is depressed, that's not, this is here in the United States, this is national suicide month. And I think, um, you know, I will get somebody on here specifically to talk about that, but in the meantime, you can't wait for that. You got to get professional help. Um, because we know that, um, it is, uh, it is prevalent in the autism community, depression, and we know that sometimes, not always, that could lead to suicidal tendencies, behaviors, and even the worst possible case scenario. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to take it seriously. I see that you're writing in from Australia. Um, we'll look into some resources. You can email me separately, s.penrod at autism-live.com. But also, please, uh, don't hesitate right now. Reach out locally and see if you can find some support for that individual. My love to all of you. Um, this conversation continues. We will be back tomorrow. And as I said, our special guest is Jake Weiner. We're going to be talking about fitness. All right. Thank you guys. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.